Hi, my name is Quanice Floyd. And I'm Peter Dayton. Welcome to the Embrace Podcast. A program of the Embrace series, which is a partnership between arts education in Maryland schools and the Maryland State Department of Education Fine Arts Office. This podcast will examine the human side of arts education and is an opportunity to highlight arts educators from around the state of Maryland. During each episode, we will interview an arts educator to talk about their journey. Each interviewee will be facilitating a workshop as a part of the Embrace series. Today, I'm joined by Dana Thomas. She is the founder of Happy Teacher Revolution. She is facilitating Revolutionizing Teacher Happiness, an Embrace session for Maryland's Creative Teaching Force on Thursday, June 4th from 2 p.m. to 2.45 p.m. Dana, thanks so much for joining me today. Peter, I'm so excited to join you. This is going to be fun. <laughs> I felt like Gertrude Stein there for a second. Happy Teacher Revolution, revolutionizing teacher happiness. And, you know, <laughs> this weird MC Escher of words going on here. So clearly, we've got a theme. Happy Teachers and a Revolution. Happy Teacher Revolution, of course, is an organization. Can you tell us about the organization? Yeah, absolutely. My journey with Happy Teacher Revolution actually began before I was a teacher when I was still a student. And I am a product of Maryland Public Schools. I am so grateful for our Maryland educators. And I refer to my teachers in high school, honestly, as my emotional first responders Hmm. because They were the individuals who recognized the warning signs of mental illness when I was experiencing crippling anxiety and depression and panic attacks as a high school student. I represented the one in four Americans who grapples with a mental illness, the one in five college students who has contemplated suicide. I represented the statistic that the onset of mental illness most frequently occurs between ages of 17 and 24. And Ms. Balderson... (laughs) My music teacher uh, recognized those subtle changes in behavior as warning signs. Ms. Goro provided me with information to seek treatment to get help. Professor Orr, Professor Sampson, my arts administration professor, <clears throat> and my poetry professor were the ones who provided life-saving differentiation and accommodation for me when I was in crisis. And they saved my life. And I wouldn't be here with you today, Peter, if it weren't for my teachers. And more specifically, they they were my art teachers and my music teachers and the individuals who helped support me when I was in crisis. And they inspired me to become a teacher myself. And I served as a Baltimore City Public School teacher for seven years. And that's when I recognized firsthand the emotional demands of the job, specifically working with children who've experienced trauma firsthand. And we know that trauma in a child's life can range from any number of things, whether it's losing a pet or losing a parent, moving neighborhoods or moving countries, experiencing a natural disaster, surviving a global pandemic, or witnessing an act of gun violence. It's all trauma. And so Happy Teacher Revolution is all about supporting our educators so that they can continue supporting the students that they serve. 50% of teachers in the U.S. are leaving in the first five years. We're spending $7.3 billion every year in the constant training and recruitment of new teachers. And Happy Teacher Revolution was born from a place that was very much inspired by the consciousness-raising groups of the civil rights movement, of the women's liberation movement, of this idea of collectively organizing and celebrating self-care as professional development. One of the things that really stands out to me from your incredible story, and thank you so much for sharing so much from your own journey, 
was your analogy of teachers to first responders, which I feel like is just one of the hats that teachers mm. put on in any given day, including surrogate, parent, guidance counselor, health professional, mental health professional, as well as supposed to convey content in the area that they have been trained to specialize mm -hmm. in. Yeah. So can you talk a little more about what Happy Teacher Revolution, what does it look like in action? Right. So Happy Teacher Revolution was honestly born out of a place of desperation. It was the 2014-2015 school year in Baltimore. I had 39 kindergartners in my classroom and we didn't have heating and we didn't have air conditioning and it was a derelict building and I didn't feel supported in the traditional sense, uh, but I felt supported by my colleagues. And so we started Happy Teacher Revolution meetings, this group of teachers. We met in my classroom and other people's classrooms, Johns Hopkins, Homewood Campus, and yoga studios, anywhere I could find. And so in a Happy Teacher Revolution meeting, it's not therapy. I'm not a licensed mental health professional. And we just value individuals' experiences as their expertise. And it's not AA because you're allowed to drink afterwards, but <laughs> <laughs> traditionally we sit in a shape of a circle. There's no like talking piece or anything like that, but rather it's grounded in mindfulness practices, research around gratitude. We reflect upon an article called The 12 Choices to Step Back from Burnout that was created by Vicki Davis. So things like I choose to make time for sleep, I choose to get outside and get moving. I choose the battles worth fighting. And no matter how the school year started, I choose to finish well are some examples of affirmations that we offer one another. This idea of choice, of feeling gratitude and recognize the courage it takes for us to set boundaries and to say no and to disconnect and detach from a place of love. And so these Happy Teacher Revolution meetings, traditionally, you know, we hold them either monthly or sometimes biweekly. They became open to teachers in the area. We opened it up to anyone who craved the space, especially our, our new teachers, if they're not feeling supported or maybe individuals who might be working in toxic work environments. We wanted to create a community that was celebrating self-care um, and sustainability in the profession as a best practice. And so uh, Education Week wrote an article about Happy Teacher Revolution. And that piece of press, after that, we went viral. I started getting emails from people all, all over the country, all over the world saying, hey, our teachers are stressed too. I, I want to start a Happy Teacher Revolution meeting where I live. So that's when we launched our online curriculum to certify individuals to become revolutionaries. These are the individuals who initiate and lead Happy Teacher Revolution meetings in their own community to launch Happy Teacher Revolution. And right now we're in over 27 different states in the U.S. We've gone global. I just did a webinar in Canada. We have sites there as well as Senegal and Dakar and West Africa. And so folks get trained online. We also do had done trainings in person before COVID-19, but what has been really incredible is offering the opportunity to foster leadership for individuals to launch these meetings in their own communities. This is obviously a revolution in the sense of one's own mentality and, and revolutionary in, I'm sure, the ability of many teachers to cope with their experiences as well as hopefully gain a, a network of support. And it just sounds like the scope of this has truly ballooned to amazing proportions. I'm curious if the other side of revolution has also been involved. The pushing to create systemic change side has this network attempted to mobilize around making wellness, not just something that teachers can practice in their own time, but something that is incorporated more into education systems where they are. You are talking my language. Absolutely. That's what this is all about. Honestly, it's, it's about systemic change because 
we have realized also that our burnout levels of our teachers who are doing this advocacy piece, it's even easier to burn out. We're putting more and more on our teachers. And so uh, with Happy Teacher Revolution, what is so important to us is integrating these practices within the professional framework, right? So we're working with different organizations, National Education Association, um, to look at what does professional sustainability and leadership look like in terms of supporting our adult social emotional learning, right? So Mm -hmm. how do we foster these skills of social awareness, self-awareness, relationship skills amongst our leadership, amongst our educators? What are we modeling to our students and how can we incorporate that into the framework? Because we know that it is a best practice to support the whole child, but how are we supporting the whole teacher? Well, and if we're talking about areas of lifelong learning, uh, social emotional learning and self-awareness are definitely ones that uh, do not become irrelevant as we continue through adulthood. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Those are not mastered like when, you know, when they, when they're no longer on the rubric, right? Yeah. Like ever. (laughs) Exactly. So stepping back from a global organization and just zeroing in on Dana Thomas, can you talk about your own artistic practice? If you could define your work, what would you call it? Oh my gosh. I would define myself as an explorer. I love to explore. I love to improvise. And specifically, I I absolutely love playing the saxophone. So I am a musician. I even have my saxophone here, if it's okay if I play a little bit for all of you. That would be wonderful. (laughs) I'm not sure how well the mic will pick it up. But if we can, that would be great. Yeah, so I started playing saxophone in the fourth grade because of Lisa Simpson. She was my inspiration, and she still is, to be honest. I think she is awesome, but I absolutely love playing saxophone. I studied jazz in college. I explored the relationship of gender and sexuality in jazz music, and for my senior recital, performed in a a local church that's often used as a homeless shelter in Charlottesville, and had used my own poetry and arranged original jazz standards to the poems Mm. and performed. And it was so much fun. And I had my Esperanza Spalding moment and didn't wear shoes. I just played barefoot and improvised with an incredible group of musicians. And so part of my journey has also been using poetry for survival, for healing, to process trauma that I experienced in my childhood as well as working in Baltimore and teaching in Baltimore and learning about the communities here and writing poems from the perspective of myself at the age of my students, for example, or writing poems from the perspective of one of my students uh, was one of my favorite classes at Hopkins was the course called Teacher as Thinker and Writer. So I oftentimes in, in my presentations with Happy Teacher Revolution, I'm always plugging the arts as essential to survival. And so Saxophone has definitely been part of my self-care, so I would love to play. That would be marvelous. So we'll see if the mic picks it up. Oh my gosh, bringing the George Michael to us. That's that's just marvelous. I picture me. Talk about blindsided. Yeah, right? Surprise. Wow. That was a plan. Yeah, it really yeah. came out of nowhere. <laughs> it's not just steamy outside. 
you are the first instrument played oh on the Embrace series. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks. I, uh, I mean, I, I'm grateful for a chance to play my sax. Explorer truly sounds right in the sense of the range of disciplines that you cover. I'd like to talk a little more about how you got started. It sounds like you gave us a bit of a hint. You said in the fourth grade was when you took up the saxophone, thanks to Lisa Simpson. <laughs> Is that what you call your origin story in terms of becoming interested in the arts and the way that you can help express? Oh my gosh, that and Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. Oh my gosh, I just fell in love. And I, I loved playing clarinet. And and you know what? It was also Peter and the Wolf. And I even remember, to be honest, like just cartoons as a kid. There was an old uh, Disney Silly Symphony with all the instruments and different characters. And I loved it. It sounds in some ways like, you know, you loved music and then formed an, a role model mm-hmm. kind of attachment with Lisa Simpson mm-hmm. with the choice mm-hmm. of the saxophone. My saxophone was a way, it was my voice. It was a way of expressing myself. And I think what's really interesting too is just my music teachers were the first ones to pick up on the signs and inklings that there was something not right in terms of what I was struggling with. And I'm just grateful for them and taking care of themselves so that they had the wherewithal to notice subtleties in their students like me, because it was honestly, they did truly save my life. It's really amazing the ways in which as you said, like music gave you a voice for me personally, because I'm I'm also a musician, uh, a composer first and foremost, but it gave me something to feel that I was good at when I didn't feel I was good at very much, which gave me confidence to then fail at things that I wasn't good at. Yes. And the best, wow. And what you're reminding me of now is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. right? Like one of those is esteem, this feeling of esteem. And I think it's something that even our educators today are craving opportunities to feel this esteem in terms of feeling like we're failing all the time. And also with the unexpectedness of a global pandemic, I think that, you know, no one's prepared for this. We haven't practiced this. This wasn't in our teacher prep training and there wasn't a praxis question about it. And it's all new. So (laughs) I think that it could feel like we're failing over and over again because this is also unexpected and feelings of esteem and like we're good at something or self-expression. Like that's why the arts are so important, whatever outlet that is for whoever is listening and whoever is connecting this community to know that that is so vital for us. And I truly believe that it's a way for us to connect and bring humanity back. There has been such positive reaction to so many of these Embrace sessions where educators just have a chance to express themselves as artists, which is something that I know that many educators don't get that much of an opportunity to do. Mm-hmm. And the chance to especially express what they're feeling about the current situation and to channel those feelings and those reflections into an artistic medium has been so powerful. And this may be a good lead into talking a little more about your session itself. And since we've talked about Happy Teacher Revolution and what they do and what you do, mm-hmm. what will we be experiencing in your session? Can you give us a little teaser? Oh, yeah. So our session, it really explores the culmination in and synthesization of Happy Teacher Revolution. So I'm a big fan of Top 5 Countdown. So The session is the top five lessons learned from starting a revolution. Mm. Everywhere from imagining happy teacher revolution airlines, so to speak, where our oxygen mask drops down from the ceiling and we have to make sure we put our oxygen mask on ourselves first before assisting children and those around us. Mm -hmm. And also going into naming things like 
compassion fatigue and burnout and vicarious trauma and moral distress, toxic stress, differentiating between each one of these things and their effect on our teachers and the students that we serve, as well as an opportunity for an experiential learning moment to participate in and practice some of the happy teacher revolution tenants. So we'll go over the 12 choices as well as offer space for affirmations. And we are also going to share our happy teacher revolution music video. So my students in West Baltimore and I made a music video for teacher appreciation week. We had a local Baltimore rock band come in while the kiddos were at lunch in the cafeteria to surprise them and we had a blast. So it's a great opportunity to see arts integration in action with real kids, real life. And we had a lot of fun. You named so many teachers that were so important to you in this process. Clearly you read the questionnaire beforehand, but but I'd like to tease it out just a little bit more. A moment that you feel you could offer, but can you share with us a particular memory of a moment where your experience with that teacher, as well as just engaging in your artistic practice, was an important part of your journey uh, as an artist and as a person. The first moment that comes to mind was with my poetry teacher. And I was going through some personal upheaval at the time. My mom is a recovering alcoholic, and she was in the midst of battling her addiction. And I was in the midst of struggling with anxiety and depression. And I remember writing this poem for this poetry workshop, and it felt like the first time that I was seen and heard. And in this poem, it was not only like the processing of writing it itself, and and the poem was called Fragility, and it was about a teacup and just how fragile this porcelain teacup that was my grandmother's was so beautiful with the gold foil leaf on the outside. But Uh, My mom would sometimes hide alcohol in other containers. And so, you know, I would sniff them to see if it was chamomile or something else. And I just will never forget the experience of not only writing the poem, but sharing it and having my teacher not only like commend my vulnerability and bravery, things that weren't necessarily like listed on a resume or could be graded, but was able to affirm me in such a way as a writer. And it's something I struggle with so much because I am so self-conscious about that form of expression. And really, I'm so grateful for the teachers who have encouraged that part of my voice along the way. The idea of being praised for things that you don't find on a resume, like Mm. vulnerability and bravery, Mm. I think gets at the heart of what the arts offer to all of us, especially to developing children. Mm. And the idea that, that the only things worth valuing in education are those which can be sort of measured in this resume worthy sense is one of the most toxic aspects that schools find themselves caught in and that the development of of actual humans is really one of the things that the arts brings to the table first and foremost is the development of the individual themselves and finding out how to validate and voice their own journey. Exactly. And point blank, the arts help kids learn. Like when my students were using song and dance and when they were exploring through creating and play and acting out the story and all of those things. I taught from sitting on top of a cajon and we would sing every morning. And that's how we transition 
from the carpet to lighting up to cleaning up and we would sing. And that's how they learned was through pattern recognition and exploration. And there's just so much power in the arts for kiddos and especially in improvisation as well. I loved kindergarten because they just would improvise and have fun and they were fearless and they would move and dance and we would play and sing. And that that is something that I realized is that my kindergartners taught me everything I needed to know about self-care and wellness. We got down to the basics. <laughs> well, in the fight for a better world, it, it seems like Happy Teacher Revolution is playing an, an enormous part. And I know that the people who are uh, who will come to your session, which is taking place on Thursday, June 4th from 2 to 2.45 p.m., will really get a lot out of it. Thank you so much for spending some time with me, Dana, and I'm looking forward to your session. Oh, thanks so much, Peter. I really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you for listening to the Embrace podcast. For more information on arts education in Maryland schools, visit aems-edu.org. To learn more about the Embrace series and how to register for a session, go to msdefinearts.org. Stay safe and stay creative.